You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's sermon comes from Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. As stated, my name is Daniel Grell. I'm not the pastor of the church, in case you're visiting here for the first time. Uh, Pastor Tim called me up uh, about noontime yesterday and said that he and his family were not feeling well. And would I be willing to fill in for him today? So it's always a privilege to be able to share God's word. Um, over the, I've been a member of the church now um, since last June, I guess. We've been attending since last January, slowly getting to know all of you. And it's, uh, as I said, it's always a privilege to be able to share God's word. My career has been either as a pastor or a missionary. And uh, so I have learned over the years that you should always have a pocket sermon. Um, over the years, I've been privileged to travel to 55 different nations in the world, being part of missions and submission leadership. And it's not unusual as a, a visiting believer, uh, one who's maybe been a pastor, sitting in a church elder meeting before the service starts and they're having prayer, and they're saying, so, Grell, you'll preach for us this morning? (laughs) Oh, I guess so. (laughs) So, I'm sharing with you what is called a pocket sermon. Uh, That doesn't mean it isn't exciting. That doesn't mean it isn't relevant. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And so I would encourage all of you, if you are a believer, whether you're in pastoral ministry or not, most of you are not, but if you are a believer, I would encourage all of you to have what I would call a pocket sermon, a pocket Bible study, a pocket presentation that would fit no matter where you live in the world, that would speak to people no matter who they are, or where they live. Our text for today does such. I'm wondering how you're feeling about the the world you live in right now. Are you feeling hopeful? Are you feeling somewhat despairing? Maybe a little bit worried? I mean, uh, we have this worldwide pandemic that never seems to end, nor does it look like in the future it will end. 
Russia is poised on the border of Ukraine saying, no, we won't invade, but that's what Hitler said too. Our institutions of education and government seem in absolute disarray. Homicides are up. No matter what political party you are part of, our government seems in absolute disarray. So how do you feel about the future? Much of what's going on here right now is very similar to what Israel found itself in at the time of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 9, our text for today, there's a question in verse 12. Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert, so that no one passes through? And the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart, and after the bales, as their fathers taught them. If we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, we have to assume, just as he was working in ancient Israel to make himself known, I think we need to look at this pandemic and say, God in his sovereignty, is he tapping us on the shoulder and saying, hey, pay attention. Russia on the border ready to maybe invade. Hey, America, world, tapping you on the shoulder. I need your attention. World, you need to come back to me. Unfortunately, Israel didn't take note of that. In in fact, though armies were going to invade and their country was in despair, they had this feeling of self-confidence. Now, we can make it our, our own. And in many ways, Americans are like that. I mean, we have always been a nation of can do. I mean, my maternal, my paternal great-grandfather, Eric, came from Sweden at the age of 16 because he knew if he came here, had a plan, got up early, worked hard, he could make something of himself. My maternal grandfather came when he was 16 from Sweden. He knew if he got here, had a plan, got up early in the morning, worked hard, it could all come together. I mean, that, that's part of American mystique. That's the kind of the way we approach it. And God knew that that's how Israel was looking at it. No, they, they, can, they got it. They can manage the challenges before them. And that's why he sent Jeremiah with this message. Verse 23. Thus says the Lord, not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches. We see here a standard approach to how people want to tackle problems. 
Self-confidence, wisdom, might, and riches. In general, that's kind of the standard approach to troubles and self-confidence. You see, if you, if you have wisdom, get smarts, knowledge, educate yourself, learn, have a thoughtful plan, you can think your way out of any problem. I can do anything. I can solve any problem because I'm, I'm wise. A number of years ago, we unfortunately got a Scottish Terrier. They're diggers. And so one day we came home and found that our dog had dug through the linoleum flooring in the, in the uh, kitchen. That was before the days of the internet, so I saw that down the street at a tile shop, on Saturday you could go there and they would teach you how to tile. And so I went down there and on Saturday, learned to tile, bought my tile, went back and did it because I had learned something and so I could conquer the problem. And nowadays with, with YouTube, I mean, if you don't know something, you just go to YouTube and you figure it out. You solve the problem. And of course, I mean, we're in the shadow of Northwestern, this cauldron of wisdom. Quite frankly, I have never been in a church that had so many PhD candidates as Evanston Bible Church. Why? Because if you amass as much knowledge and education and degrees that you can possibly have, you can think your way out of any problem that confronts you. What about might? Uh, the second element to what might be considered a way to solve problems, uh, might can look, be looked at in, in several different ways. One would just be physical strength, physical power, and, and so that's why our Northwestern football team, our linemen, Hit the weights, <laughs> because they can keep the defensive players from getting into the quarterback. Uh, some people want to act like the tough, tough guy on the street and outward appearance show that no one's going to take me on. Sometimes might displays itself in position, and so, and so I try, strive to become a leader. I, I want to climb up the corporate ladder and I want to get in a position of authority because if I'm an authority, I, I, I can control things and I can solve whatever problems come, come my way. Uh, might can also be displayed by control. If you've met people how they try to intimidate you with their attitude or their word usage. You see, if you have might, you can do anything and conquer anything because you are a fighter and you can fight your way out of anything. And finally, riches. I mean, we sit on the border of Chicago, you know, a, a massive city that is into making money, riches. Uh, wealth can be accumulated, 
legally, better jobs, second or third job, investment savings. Uh, uh, Chicago can also be brought illegally, <laughs> build up your wealth by cheating, swindling, stealing, lying. But if you have riches, you can buy your way out of any situation. The world says the way you solve problems, you deal with difficulties and make life better for you is through wisdom, might, and riches. It's called self-confidence, and it does not matter where you travel in the world. Everyone knows that. Wisdom, education, power, might, and wealth, riches. I can think my way out, I can fight my way out, and I can buy my way out. But if that's the way the world says it works, and you deal with the challenges that are before you, why does Jeremiah come to God's people and say, hey, this doesn't work. This does not work. As we look at Scripture, and particularly three individuals, we discover, you know what? It doesn't work. Wisdom. Solomon, King Solomon, he was considered to be the wisest man in the world. People came to him from great distances to hear what he had to say. But this is what he himself says about wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13. I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. But here's his summary of it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 15 and 16. This is what he thinks about it. Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. The wise man and the fool alike die. So it doesn't matter how wise our scientists are and how many boosters they tell us we need to get. Folks, death is coming. <laughs> it's either going to come earlier or later. It just, in the end, doesn't solve the problem. Doesn't solve the problem. And we see that in Solomon's own life. We discover the historical account of him that he foolishly married multiple wives. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, selected verses, now King Solomon loved many foreign women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said, you shall not enter into marriage with them, for they will turn away your heart after their gods. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And in 1 Kings uh, chapter 11, verse 11, here's the result. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and any statutes that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. The wisest man 
on the face of the earth discovered that in the end, wisdom didn't work. He lost his kingdom. What about might? Here's what the Bible says about might. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. No matter how strong you think you are, you will get tired. A number of years ago, several times, it was my privilege to climb Yosemite Park Half Dome. Has anyone else climbed that? I see my daughter up there. She joined me in that, and she knows that no matter how strong you are, you get tired. You see, Half Dome, if you climb it from the valley floor to its peak, it's an 18-mile round trip from valley floor to the top 4,000-foot elevation rise. No matter how physically fit you think you are to do that in a day, it is absolutely exhausting. Might does not always turn out like you think it should. Looking at another biblical character, we reroute Samson. Samson was known as one of the strongest men on the face of the earth. I mean, his whole history, he killed a lion with his bare hands. He tied 300 foxes' tails together. He killed 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. He tore off a city gate and carried them to the top of the hill. And then he fell in love with an ungodly woman whose name was Delilah, Judges chapter 16. This is what we read. And she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. To me, one of the saddest verses is verse 20, (laughs) but he did not know the Lord had departed from him. And so here, the strongest man on the face of the earth found it didn't work out. He became a slave. What about riches? Well, one of these three has to work. (laughs) Uh, Here's what the Bible says about riches. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain worth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heaven. Uh, No doubt many of you know these verses to be true. (laughs) You've experienced them. My normal practice is to buy high and sell low. (laughs) One of the wealthiest men on the face of the earth was a man named King Hezekiah. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 12 through 13, we we get just a small view of his wealth. He had become ill, uh, life-threatening. He had been miraculously healed. It was such a marvelous event that people from all over the world came to hear about it. And, And some representatives from Babylon come, and here's where we see his wealth. 
And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. You see, this was a real act of pride about his wealth. And so Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, and he says this in chapter 20, verses 16 through 70. Hear the word of the Lord. Build the days that are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. So here is a, a very rich man. Thinking he can solve every problem because of riches, discovers that in the end he loses everything. So what's the conclusion here? Well, it's easy to put our all the problems of life and deal with them in self-confidence. But you know what? Personal experience, biblical truth tells us we just can't think our way out. We can't just fight our way out. And we just can't buy our way out. Now, I I do want to say it's important for us to understand this text does not say we shouldn't get education, we shouldn't get position or power, and we shouldn't get wealth. It is not saying those things are not important. You should be educated. You should strive to do well in your work. And you should be good stewards of the things God gives you. Just don't trust in them. So if these things don't work, wisdom, might, and riches, where do I put my confidence? Where do I trust, put my trust? Well, the second verse answers that question. Verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We put our confidence in an intimacy with God the Creator. First of all, we're told we should understand God. Now, the word here, understand, means to be circumspect, attentive to everything. Learn about God as much as we possibly can. And part of our intimacy with God comes from knowing him and doing all we can to understand him. Now, that is a difficult challenge because he is infinite and we are finite. He is without any boundaries, but we have all kinds of of boundaries. So we can go through Scripture in Psalm 33. uh, We learn about his creative hand. In Ephesians 1, we learn we're adopted through the work of Christ. Um, Colossians 1, we read of... God coming in the flesh in the comparable Christ. Uh, so much to know about God. He, he's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. 
He's the creator. He causes it to rain. He causes it to snow. He fashions us in the womb. He places rulers on the throne and he removes them. He sets the tides and the seasons. And he loves us so much that he came to earth in the person of Jesus. Wow, there is so much to learn about God and know about God. And it's what we learn about him that drives us to an intimacy to him that is spoken of in the other thing we need to boast in. Not only do we understand him, the head knowledge, but we know him. That word know there gives us the full understanding of knowledge. Uh, Not only do I learn about him, but I see him, I hear him, and I experience him. I know him in the depth of my heart. It's having a personal relationship with him. 1 John 1, 1 through 3 describes these two levels of intimacy. John writes, that which was from, and here's the head knowledge, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of God, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's knowledge of God. And that knowledge needs to go deep within the heart. And here's the rest of the word, the heart. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's when the disciples took all the head knowledge they had, all they knew about Jesus by hearing him, seeing him, and literally touching him, could then answer the question when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? They replied, you are the son of the living God. You are God come in the flesh. These disciples not only had head knowledge of God in Christ, but they had heart knowledge. And that's what we should trust in, a deep and abiding relationship with our creator God and the Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit. So how does confidence to face the world come from understanding and knowing God? Well, like the disciples, we we learn, we, we, we see and we experience God on a daily basis. That's why we're in the Word to learn about him, to know him. There are three things described for us here that that really summarize God's work among us, and I I would call it the gospel or good news. Look what the Lord loves and takes delight in. He exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. He, 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 he practi- First of all, he practices loving kindness. That's found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And Romans chapter 5, 6 through 8 clarifies the magnitude of this love God had for us with these words. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's loving kindness for us is shown through Christ's death on the cross. Not only does he practice loving kindness, but he exercises justice on the earth. What's he speaking of? Well, you see, because sin is awful and it must be punished, we discover God took care of it. He was a just God and took care of it through the death of Jesus on the cross. That's where justice comes, Romans 3, 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And Romans 5, 9 through 10 goes on to say, since therefore we had now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. God's justice is seen by dealing with our sin problem. And finally, he exercises righteousness on the earth. That means he changes you and me from being a sinner to someone who is not stained with sin. 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we are healed. 1 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is how yeah, God, having dealt with our sin problem and making us new, this is called righteousness. And these three words describe what we know of as the gospel or good news, loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. And this is what God wants us to understand about him, to know about him, but he also wants us to experience it within our heart. And that's where confidence comes in. I want to share with you testimony from two men who were intimate with God. They understood him and knew him, and no matter how troubled things were out there, they stood rock solid. First man is Job. And in Job 19, 25 through 27, we, we, we understand that uh, how Job deals with troubles in the world. We know he, he lost all his children, he lost all his wealth, he lost all his health. But this is what he had to say. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Um, but I have confidence in God. No matter the adversity I'm living in. Another man is known by the name of Habakkuk. 
He was not presently living in adversity, but he he saw it coming. (laughs) That's kind of where we're all at in general. Not too many of us are living in real adversity. Yeah, we might all have little troubles, but bigger adversity is coming. I mean, Scripture's clear with that. This is what he said. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Wow, what confidence with trouble coming. These words of of Jeremiah are, are very important to us, and they're emphasized with bookends. This is God's revealed truth. Notice how how these texts begin. Verse 23, thus says the Lord. And verse 24 ends with, thus declares the Lord. This truth here about where we find self-confidence is revealed to us as a truth by God himself. And it reminds us, don't take confidence in wisdom. In the end, you just can't think your way out of things. Don't take your confidence in might. In the end, you just can't fight your way out of things. And don't take confidence in the riches because in the end, you just can't buy your way out of things. Let's take our confidence in this, being intimate with God, understanding him, head knowledge, learn all you can about him, but let that head knowledge transfer down into your heart and transform you in knowing him personally in a deep way and experiencing the things he delights in, loving you, declaring you justified before him and making you righteous before him. Heavenly Father, uh, we will confess that we... We might feel troubled because of the world we live in, but Lord, we th- I thank you for your word that is so clear to us where our confidence is found. Oh, thank you, Father, for these two very simple little verses that just are so encased with such wonderful truth. So, Father, help us trust in you through our intimacy with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.